Hi everyone, this is Everybody's Story and thank you so much for being here today. I'm your host, Emily Mikus, and I can't wait for you to hear this interview with Danielle. I do want to give a quick trigger warning. Danielle talks about her struggles with an eating disorder, so if this will be triggering for you, you might not want to listen. And last thing, before we get into it, I'll remind you about my Buy Me A Coffee page. The site lets you easily donate just the price of a coffee to help me with podcast production costs. If you're liking the podcast, please head to buymeacoffee.com slash everybodystory to donate if you can. Any little bit will help, and I do really, really appreciate it. All right, thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So I'm here today with Danielle Stillman. Danielle is a 20-year veteran of the Irish dance scene in the Southern Region USA and a former prelim champ dancer, fesh chair, and dance photographer. She is currently earning her master's degree in social work with a concentration in mental health and substance abuse and wants to focus on psychotherapy. She hopes to be able to synthesize all the experiences she has had as a dancer and as a person to help others. So thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yay. And you wrote a really great article that I read um, that I hope everyone else gets to read, but I'm excited to kind of delve into some of the stuff you said in there as well. So, um, and I'm an Irish dancer as well. So it's nice to just have a fellow Irish dancer. Um, so yeah, if you could just tell me a bit about your body image and your relationship with your body kind of growing up and uh, what that was like for you. Um, well, I didn't grow up kind of as um, uh, a heavy kid. Uh, I was pretty average. Um, fitness was definitely something that was um, held up in high regard in our family. And even not so much fitness, but thinness. Um, I got a whole bunch of messages about like that thin bodies are the only worthy bodies. And um, that didn't go so well for me later on in life. Um, But especially in high school, I was extremely thin and um, just didn't didn't have a good relationship with my body. And then toward high school or toward the end of high school to college, started gaining more weight. And because my identity was so formed around thinness that uh, it really threw me for a loop. Um, It kind of knocked me off my my axis. And where does dance fit into this? When did you start dancing? So I started dancing when I was 13. So I was, I started pretty late. Um, and I ended up dancing through my sophomore year of college. And so it was always, I'd never been, uh, in dance lessons or sports or anything active like that. And so when I saw Irish dancing was being offered to homeschoolers, I was like, I gotta do this. Like, this sounds fun. Um, and the fact that I learned those like little bitty steps in, you know, an old bungalow, uh, in one neighborhood of Houston, it really, uh, kicked off something that kind of became bigger than my life and, uh, a lifelong obsession, let's say. Yeah. Great. I mean, that's amazing, you know, um, and you're still dancing today or are you not, you're not competing or anything? I, I'm not currently dancing. Um, I'm just so busy with um, my social work internship and schoolwork and everything. It's just kind of hard to do it at the level that I would like. Um, yeah. So, um, so I guess, so when you started dancing, had you already been having a bit of, so that was like 13, you said, had you already been having like a bit of disordered eating at that point? Or was it kind of once you started dancing that kind of took off? 
I think it was more um, when I started dancing. Um, it definitely was something that was like, okay, well, if I'm thinner, I'm going to be a better dancer. Um, and I'm being nice to my body. I'm just being healthy and kind of couched around all of these wellness excuses. Um, but you know, I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't have an eating disorder. How could I have an eating disorder? Because I want to dance. I want to be strong and healthy. Um, and so it's just kind of like a lot of denial going on. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's still a really big message in society, right? This like, you know, just get healthy and, you know, restricting your eating, but in, to get healthy and definitely with this like emphasis on health, health and um, not realizing that there's like many other ways to be healthy, you know, and mentally healthy and all these things, which obviously you are big into mental health as well. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, let's talk more about like weight fluctuations. So when, tell me about some of the times when your weight went up and down and how that affected you. Um, it definitely has gone sort of back and forth. Um, I was extremely thin, as I said, in high school, early college, um, underweight, like unhealthily thin. Um, it was not a, um, a tenable position for my body to be in for any amount of time. And then when I hit college, I gained like 20 pounds, but that was really probably my body catching up to being an adult woman rather than any sort of, you know, <laughs> neglect or anything like that. And that, but that just kind of set me off. And, uh, it was very difficult to deal with the weight loss and I, or the uh, weight gain. And I really gained a whole lot of weight my senior year because I was out on my own for the first time. I had a very sort of like restricted childhood. And so like, I didn't even drive until I was almost 20. Um, so I was just kind of like very sheltered, very in this little bubble. And so, I mean, everything was controlled, like food was controlled, not necessarily, um, you know, intentionally, but since I couldn't go anywhere and, and you know, make my own decisions, um, I've talked to my therapist about this. It's really common for kids who have restrictive uh, childhoods, either when it comes to food or just kind of like their life, um, it's really common for them once they have that freedom to overeat and gain weight um, because of it's just kind of like a natural like bouncing back um, from that kind of control. Yeah, I think about that with um, like the Amish community. Obviously, you're not Amish, but I've seen. I know it was just a TV show, but they had some TV show where then like. They, they went off when they were 18 or whatever, had like experienced normal life. And a lot of them went very extreme. So it does kind of make sense. You're like, oh my God, like all this stuff. And whether or not that was subconscious, you were like thinking that it kind of happened for you. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering about like comments or people's reactions. Did people comment when you, um, I don't know, when you were thin, were you kind of praised for being thin in high school? And then did you get comments when you gained weight or how did people react? I definitely got praised for being thin. Um as a high school or early college, um, there, you know, my, my dad seemed like weirdly proud of my sister and I for being thin. Um, and it's more of a, a, a sort of like fitness and even like I said, worthiness. Um, and, um, he's super into fitness. I think he has disordered eating, but that's a completely different topic. 
Um, but having that kind of influence, yeah, definitely. And then I didn't get so many comments when I gained weight. It was more just sort of like a an attitude change around me, and especially with strangers. Um, it was I went from being one of the craziest or, or um, most unexpected things of gaining weight was I didn't get catcalled as much because um, I was taking the bus everywhere and stuff. So I was at random bus stops. People would stop and offer me rides and it was just like, no, no, thank you. But once I gained weight, that kind of stopped. And it was kind of like, you know, I'm glad that this is stopping, but also I feel weird about it stopping. Um, and having that sort of harassment as validation is such a strange concept. Yeah, because you're like, absolutely, no one wants to get catcalled as far as I know. But yeah, I could see how that would be a little bit of a like, oh, at least like people are giving me attention, like in a sort of twisted way. I don't know. That's a really strange uh, scenario to deal with. And then so when I guess, so when did you start getting more comfortable or were you comfortable immediately when, when you were gaining the weight? Were you like, I feel better. I feel, you know, like this is where I'm supposed to be with my body or was it like you were uncomfortable with it? It took a long time for me to kind of like be at peace with my body. Um, I, when I first started gaining, it was just devastating uh, because so much of my life was about being thin and about being fit and about fitting into this size clothes. So when it, you know, that, that number changed, uh, a lot of things changed with my attitude and it became more of a sort of like a self-loathing kind of thing where it's like this terrible cycle where you don't feel worthy and you don't feel like you're deserving of kindness and care. And then it becomes, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a terrible person, even though I shouldn't be eating if I'm going to be good at something, it might as well be eating. Like <laughs> I, uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. And so, so trying to having to break out of that mindset of you're not worthy, you're not um, worth paying attention to or, or spending care on is a really hard thing to, to break out of. Yeah. Because I suppose that's just, there's always one more thing that you could do, right? Lose a few pounds or be, you know, that certain hair color, whatever, there's always something you could like strive for. So yeah, I'd say it would be, a, it's like, I mean, I've dealt with that myself. I understand that. Um, I'm wondering, did you ever get to talk with your family about like kind of the stuff? Did you ever get to into your, in your adult life? Did you ever get to sit down with them and talk about like, you know, I felt like my worthiness was based on my like thinness or. The closest I've ever gotten really I, I've tried to broach the subject with my dad and just kind of general body positivity where it's like, I'm not trying to lose weight. And it just, it, he cannot break out of that mindset that thinness equals health and thinness equals better. Um, the closest I have really kind of sat down and unpacked some of that was um, I ended up uh, apologizing to my mom for joining in with um, just sort of like digs about her weight. Um, my dad would make comments and there was just sort of this undercurrent of, um, you know, a, I wouldn't say aggression, but just passive aggression directed toward my mom. And like looking back, she was probably thinner than I am now. 
Um, and so to have that sort of ingrained in you that, you know, being a certain way is ridiculous and silly and uh, uh, gross. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's something hard to get over. Uh, so yeah, that's the closest I've come to talking to my parents about anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, I'd imagine. You know, because like you said, if people are so, they especially kind of the older you get, you know, the more we form these pathways in our brains and we get, I don't want to say stuck in our ways, I don't want to stereotype, but you know, people maybe get a bit more stuck in their ways and um, they just can't understand where you're coming from. So that's tough. Um, I'm wondering, do the weight gain um, affect like your social life or like romantic relationships or other parts of your life? Like obviously your own, the way you felt about yourself, but did it affect many of your relationships? I would say um, my relationship with my sister actually got way closer because I was able to, we were dancing together and she's always been kind of fit and, and thin, but she's never been, you know, thinness is the ideal. She wants to be strong. And like, when she says that, I actually believe her because I know her, but um, yeah, I have, um, you know, the more time we spent together and dance was such a, such a blessing for that, um, where I've seen her multiple times a week, um, before, you know, see each other maybe once a month or something like that. Um, I was able to kind of be vulnerable with her and kind of share those, those emotions. And so it, it's really, really strengthened our relationship because we can be just so honest with each other. As far as dating, I started dating my now ex-husband when I was still thin. I was like 19. Um, so it was my sophomore, junior year of college. And um, I was with him for a decade and then we divorced. Um, and the thought of dating again after uh, being with somebody for a decade, you know, that leaving that aside, being uh, being a, a different weight, being having a different sort of life experience, um, being heavier, it just it it's dating scared the pants off of me. I just I didn't want to do it. Um, luckily, I, I've found an amazing person that's able to just sort of appreciate me for who I am and not who I once was or who what my potential could be. I'm not like a fix it project. Um, I'm just me. Yeah. Oh, well, great. I'm happy that you found, you know, a nice partner. Okay. So I want to maybe get back to, I know we're kind of going a bit backwards now, but I'm like, I want to delve a bit more into only like what you're comfortable with about the eating disorder. Um, were you, were you diagnosed with an eating disorder? I have been diagnosed with an eating disorder in high school. I, I was not. Um, so for the sort of orthorexic restricting part of my eating disorder, um, I didn't get any medical attention for that. Um, I didn't, yeah, it just, it wasn't brought up. I didn't think I had a problem. Uh, my parents didn't think I had a problem, but it was, it was very restrictive. Um, later on, uh, I am seeing an eating disorder specialist therapist actually. Hmm. And so she diagnosed me with a sort of like other unspecified eating disorder. And it's kind of like a catch all basket for anything that doesn't fit into these really rigid boundaries. And I'm really glad to see that 
people are moving past the, you know, anorexia is this box, bulimia is this box, overeating is this box. Mm. And, you know, any of the behaviors in between that or the cycling between the two is not, it's, it's actually has a place now. Um, and having that sort of spectrum of eating disorder, um, I think is really, really helpful, both for clinicians and for, you know, uh, people, clients, um, people in counseling, um, to understand what's going on with their eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think anything that can get rid of like rigid boxes in our society is usually a good thing. Yeah. So, um, do you want to share kind of where you are in your like recovery now? Again, it's up to you, whatever you want to share. Sure. I'm in a really good place right now. Um, I am, the focus is really on balance. So I'm not talking about, you know, the four food groups or, um, calorie restriction or, or anything like that. When I say balance, I mean, you know, I have, yeah, I'll have the fruits and the vegetables, but also I'll have, you know, the bowl of ice cream or whatever. So it's, I'm, I'm, really in a really good place where I'm not beating myself up about the sort of like like bad foods or good foods that I consume, which is silly in and of itself. Um, I live with my 89 year old grandmother and she said on the 4th of July, I guess I'll be bad and have two scoops of ice cream. And it was like, grandma, it's ice cream. You didn't murder anybody. Like there's no good or bad in, in food. Like to, to say that a cupcake is inherently evil is just kind of silly when you break it down that way. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of like in this place of, of balance. And I think that concept is really hard for some people to grasp. And in the Irish dance world, I found it to really be hard to grasp because everything is so black and white. All or nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd actually love to get into like the Irish dance um, world. I know you talked about like you were hearing a lot of, um, you know, self-criticism from people, whether it was in the studio or at a competition about their bodies and food. And um, yeah, I think we don't realize like those things, even if you're just hearing them, and you're not even thinking about it, those things, like they go into your psyche, I think. Um, and you also mentioned in, when we were talking earlier and in the emails and stuff about how like Irish dance has become so, I want to say athletic or just, it's become so much more intense, I suppose, in every sense of the word. Um, so yeah, what are your feelings about, um, I don't know, do you feel that that way as well? The Irish dance has just gone like a bit, um, intense. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely do agree. It's gotten very um, regimented and very black and white. Um, I just kind of since I have these kind of two eras of Irish dance in my life, um, instead of just one big um, run, I think I have an interesting perspective in how things have changed. Um, so it was like from 2000 to 2006. I mean, as far as fitness, there was like the Gene Butler DVD, do some crunches for hanging your leaps. And it was not necessarily the kind of like intense cross training, the stamina training, the strength training and everything that there is now. And I think that's also reflective of society today. 
because there is such a huge uh, emphasis on, you know, wellness and being uh, fit and strong. And I don't, I just didn't get those messages uh, when I was um, around the first time. So the second time I was in the studio, there was a lot more self-criticism of bodies. There was a lot of, oh, I shouldn't eat this, or I should uh, stop eating whatever. I, I, I need to cut that out. I'm going paleo, I'm going gluten-free, I'm going keto, and, you know, oh, I wish that I was, you know, this much thinner, I need to fit into this dress and whatnot, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, okay, <laughs> you guys are like this big around and incredibly fit, like the fitness level that you have is, compared to the general population, it's great, like it's amazing what you can do with your body, and to have people just sort of like constantly putting their bodies down. And then it was kind of like, okay, so what do they think of me if I'm, you know, so much bigger than them? Like, am I an ogre to them? <laughs> am I a monster? Um, and that sort of self-criticism and com comparing bodies and comparing, you know, meals and stuff, it, it really ended up becoming more of an issue. Um, definitely like post, 2012 or so, um, which is when I started back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the comparing is a massive one. I also feel like there's a bit of like pride a little bit in people saying like, like proud of how much, how little they ate sort of thing. And like, yeah, proud of, I don't know how to explain it, but even like proud of hating their body to a certain extent, because it's like, yeah. Wow. She's so dedicated. Like she's, she's never settling. It's like, she, you know, you're, she's never happy. She's always going for more, you know? Yeah. Dedication was definitely the word that I thought of when you, when you said that just kind of like, Oh, she's so dedicated to what she does and admiring that sort of intense discipline that it takes to do, you know, a lot of cardio or stamina or food, like sticking to food plans um, it's definitely, I, I feel like it is definitely held up on a pedestal as like the ideal. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think discipline is great. Like it's something that people should have, but I think this idea of balance that you were talking about is often missing from the conversation. And I just think of like, you know, most people stop competing when it's, it, people are getting a bit older now, but still, you know, past your mid twenties, you know, thirties, let's say. And like, once the competition's over, like, are you left with all these like disordered eating and hating your body. It's like, you know, you get all these messages and it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's like, so I can be the best competitor, but it's like, what about the rest of your life? Are you just going to be like, and like, that's probably, well, maybe part of what motivated you. I'm not sure to go into the career path you're going into, like to help people, you know, I don't know, with their mental health and things like that. But, um, okay. So here's my question to you. Uh, there may not be an answer. Do you think there is a, a middle ground? I don't know the answer um, where we can have like really high standards of dance, but also not such intense pressure on dancers. Is that possible? I, I, I think? think so. I think there's a good balance. Um, I'm thinking specifically of one of the workshop teachers I had. She's very much about, I mean, she went to uh, University of Limerick as well. And so uh, had that kind of um, background and all that training and stuff. 
but she's very much about her kids um, eating well and eating in balance and understanding nutrition instead of just saying, these are calories, don't eat that, don't eat this, but uh, really like had a workshop about what's protein, what are carbs, what are, you know, these things. And it was more informational than shaming. Neutralizing it, like using food as fuel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just understanding it was like, okay, you need this for your body. And this part does this for your body. And, um, you know, her, her kids are competitive, but it's never, it hasn't reached the level of obsession that I've seen. Um, I think it's really hard to come up with a culture around that though, rather than like your, your individual, um, convictions or your individual balance, um, being able to come up with an overarching culture is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when we're on social media, you know, we're seeing everyone else, what they're doing in other schools. You can't keep everyone in a bubble, you know? Exactly. I really think YouTube was one of the things that just kind of like made everything explode where you could only see like certain tricks at competitions when you were, you know, in the, in the early 2000s or whatnot, um, and earlier than that. But now that there's YouTube and there's Instagram and there's all this sort of inundation of information and being able to watch people back and seeing how do they do that trick? I feel like the level of athleticism has just grown exponentially because it wasn't, there wasn't that much of a difference between me starting in 2000 and when I ended in 2006, there wasn't, I mean, it, it was different, but it wasn't just sort of incrementally more difficult than it was when I came back. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I can't, how, how does anybody do this? And it really is kind of a, a, an elite club of people that actually have that kind of uh, time, mental energy to spend, um, to have, uh, just general, uh, health and, you know, being injury free. And so a lot of it is, just kind of being lucky and avoiding injuries and having that time and energy to devote to something that you may love, but um, it's kind of, it's, it's not accessible to everybody. And I wish that we would not say that it is. Um, I, I think there's, there's sort of a, with the, with the the fitness plans that Irish dancers have and stuff. And it's just kind of like, well, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to get results and you're going to uh, improve, you know, this about your dancing. And it, it just, there's, you know, that's not even touching like disability and accessibility for people that may not have, you know, that kind of um, level of stamina or, or whatever. And I feel like there's not room for people that aren't going at it a hundred percent or just can't go at it a hundred percent. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think it's, it's basically just, it's just diet culture, but it's just, you know, in Irish dance form, it's like here, it's like, you can get your kicks higher, but you know, there's just diet culture that just tells you, you can get your abs, whatever, more toned. It's, you know, that same, like kind of like you said, wellness and health. And it's, it's the new, like, you know, we pretend like it's not diet culture, but it's just for health and stuff. Um, 
So I want to talk more about the competing in your second time when you came back. Um, you mentioned earlier when we were um, talking about how you were feeling maybe a bit of pressure to kind of go full kind of glam with your look. Um, will you talk a bit about that? Sure. I think just in general, um, since I have become uh, heavier, there is sort of an emphasis. I feel like I have to be very feminine and very put together to be taken seriously because of all these assumptions about, um, you know, fat people, basically you're lazy, you're, you know, somehow morally deficient because health in America is just kind of like a, a barometer of morality really. And, or, or can be, um, and so, uh, you know, having to present and be like, I put effort into this, I, you should take me seriously, um, was kind of the impetus for the, um, the Irish dance part of it. And, you know, I'm competing against, sometimes they're like 15 and over, and it would be hilarious to be in line with somebody who was like, oh my God, I'm so old and I, I, I have to get this. It's like, you're 20. What are you talking about? Right. Um, but you know, having to compete against people that are like children is, is really hard, um, when you're coming back and especially, you know, when your body has changed, when the style has changed, it was really a lot of culture shock at first, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so was it more, it was like feeling like you had to kind of prove yourself just to get like the minimum level of kind of respect and acceptance in the. Yeah. And not, not just like the sort of wider community, but also like judges. I didn't really feel like anybody would take me seriously unless it was like, look, I'm super put together. I'm serious about this. Like I am, I am dedicated, even if it doesn't, you know, show necessarily um, just kind of like, having to put in that effort to feel like you're taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, such a change from when you were competing at first, right. When you probably just weren't thinking about, you were just thinking about, you know, getting your steps right, probably. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And now there's all this extra like noise of like judging you and, you know, about not just your steps, but about your appearance. And yeah, that was probably tough for you. Um, and then when, when and why did you then stop competing the second time? It, it just kind of came to a sort of natural close. Um, I, yeah. part, of, part of what kind of kicked it off was um, I was made homeless by a hurricane, uh, Hurricane Harvey. Oh, my God. Um, and so it flooded out my parents' house, my both grandparents' houses. Um, so it was just kind of wow. put my life into disarray. And I had been in such a good groove um, prior to that as far as um, dancing and feeling good about my steps and feeling good about where I was progress-wise and just kind of being in a good place where it wasn't like, I'm not perfect, so therefore, you know, I, I'm not worthy of this. It was more like, okay, I'm doing the best that I can right now. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm really okay with that. Um, and then the hurricane just kind of knocked a whole lot of things um, for me. And so I did go to the Rockus that year, but after that, it was kind of harder and harder to make it to the studio. Um, 
with everything that was going on. And then that's when I started grad school as well. So I did, I did come back the next year and I did traditional set because it was in Houston. So it was in my hometown. I was like, Oh, why not? You know, this is, this is something I can do. So, um, but I haven't been in a dance class since then. And I do really miss it. I do miss the camaraderie. Um, we had a lovely class that was basically all senior dancers. Um, so it was really easy to find somebody that you could relate to. And, and they've kind of moved on. I think my sister's the only one that's left. Um, the others are having kids and, you know, moving on with their, with their lives and promising that their kids will be in class <laughs> as soon as they're able. <laughs> right. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier because um, I did an episode with May where we talked about fat phobia a lot. We like really delved into it, a woman named May. Um, and she talked about like, I kind of asked her, I said, the, the word fat makes me uncomfortable. And this is as a, a thin person who has privilege, but it makes me uncomfortable and I'm trying to get past that. And I know in your article, you talked about that you use that word just as a descriptor and thinking about neutralizing the word fat. But I'm wondering as you were gaining weight, did you struggle to describe yourself as that, as fat, or um, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I came to later than, um, you know, my, <laughs> it's like my mind caught up to my body, I feel like, but, you know, you use all these euphemisms like plus sized and curvy and all these sort of like wishy-washy words. And so I, I really identified with the movement to kind of destigmatize the word fat and, you know, have it mean just what it is instead of, oh, you're, you're fat, you're lazy, you're, you know, indolent, you're uh, slovenly, you don't, you don't clean yourself and, and just having to separate all the connotations from the actual denotation. Um, it's not something that is comfortable to a lot of people, even people who are um, heavier. Uh, and it's only something that I've recently sort of come to. And there's so much fat phobia in the um, fitness community as well. Just it, even when you're sort of like in the gym and you're, you know, doing, doing the, the good fatty things, which is what I call it, you're on the treadmill you're doing your weights and there's still kind of like a, why are you here? And it's like, I can't win. Like I really can't win. Um, I've been out running and people have thrown food at me from their uh, windows, from the car windows. I mean, it's just kind of, there's just such a culture of looking down on fat people and just, like I said, not being able to win unless you're thin. That's like the only way that you, possibly end the game. I, I talked about that with, with May as well. She had the same feeling and we were saying, yeah, you just can't yeah, win. Like, yeah, like you said, if you're in the gym and you're being like a good fat person, but then it's like, like you said, they still look at you and yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to, you know, em empathize and things that sounds really um, painful. And yeah. Thank you for sharing all that as well. Um, oh, I, I know you also mentioned the that you're a proponent of the health at every size movement, which I'm learning a little bit about. I'm wondering if you could talk about kind of what that movement means. It's kind of in the title. People maybe get it, but maybe explain what it means to you or how you um, think about it. Sure. I, I think about health as every size. Health at every size is just kind of a way to 
um, decouple sort of like health and moving and eating from diet culture um, and just make it about actual health. Um, I saw a tweet that was talking about uh, all the people that wanted to go to the gym after with COVID still happening. It was like, that's really not about health, is it? It's just kind of about fat phobia because you don't want to be fat. Like if you're really concerned about health, you want to take as many precautions as you can. Um, so just kind of decoupling it from the ideal of losing weight or the, the goal of losing weight as a fitness um, goal and just kind of like, you know, you move because your body wants, wants to move and you, you know, you eat because your body needs to eat and just being able to understand that and hold that in your mind rather than just sort of fitness as a means to an end, um, is just fitness for the sake of being, being fit. And it's, it's also very inclusive with, you know, for people with disabilities, um, you know, every, every body has limitations. Um, even people who are, you know, quote unquote, able-bodied. Um, so, you know, being able to work within your body and not being angry at your body for not being just sort of the ideal, um, is kind of what health at every size means to me. Um, the person that I most love is Lindo Bacon. Um, he has written some wonderful books. Um, I actually got to see him speak at an eating disorders professional conference um, that I attended as a student and um, just a, a wonderful, wonderful presentation and based on science and it's not just sort of a feel good thing. It really is based in actual fact. Um, and so I would encourage anybody who's interested in learning more about that to pick up their book. For sure. Um, yeah, cool. I'll definitely look up some of their stuff. Okay. So I'm wondering, have you, um, I know dance, you said you didn't play many sports when you were younger and then you kind of found dance now that you're not dancing right now. Did, have you found any other type of movement that you've like connected with or has da dance been the main one? Yeah, not, not really. Dance is just kind of like, if I can take away all of the sort of negative aspects, it feels like solving puzzles with your feet. It's like a, a very mental workout as well. And w actually, when I first started coming back to dance, I was doing all of these different things. I took tennis lessons. I was you know, swimming. And it was just kind of like, I hate all of this, really. The only thing that I really care about is dance. And that's when I was like, why don't you just go to back to dance, you dummy? Like, don't waste your money on tennis lessons. You don't like it. Uh, but um, I have a little bit of a, like a little practice space in my garage. I haven't been in there recently because it's Houston and it's August and it's awful. Um, but when the fall comes, I feel like I'll just be kind of noodling around in there and just, you know, moving to move and moving to give myself a mental workout and maybe doing a little bit of choreography and just yeah. kind of like having fun with it. Yeah. Without the pressure of, or the goal of a competition for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think maybe kind of, kind of to end ish. Um, so I'm just wondering how. Well, you kind of talked a bit about where you are with your body and food already. Um, so if there's anything else you want to add about that or, or actually anything that we didn't cover, is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't get to? 
Um, I guess the sort of um, mental health aspect of it, I'm, I'm very interested in just sort of like what goes into the fitness mentality. Um, I was able to, I've been to a couple of Houston area eating disorders professionals conferences and just kind of the information that um, I was able to glean was just really interesting. And they talked a lot about orthorexia or um, uh, eating disorders in athletes specifically. And um, basically, as far as recovery goes, they kind of tried to frame it as, listen, if you want to get better, this is your plan and kind of breaking it down as, um, you know, if you want to get better at running or whatever they're doing, this is the plan and kind of like making that sort of taking that all or nothing or taking that really um, uh, regimented lifestyle and actually kind of <laughs> turning it for good um, and making it part of recovery um, instead of just saying you need to turn off this part of your brain, being able to frame it in a way that would make sense to them is really interesting and is interesting to me as a clinician or a future clinician as well. Um, one of the things that I was most surprised at was that um, most athletes, um, their eating disorders um, happen in the off season. So they'll be very, very strict about their workouts and their um, food, like eating plans and stuff. So when they're in the off season, that's when the overeating starts because they've been restricting this entire time. And Irish dance doesn't really have an off season. So when I heard that, it was like, you know, that's, that's kind of, that might be why there's no just sort of room for error here is because we're just going all the time. We're going year round and there isn't like, you know, we don't have the summer off like somebody playing lacrosse or softball would do. Um, we just kind of keep going throughout the year. And so that was interesting to me as a dancer and just kind of comparing that to what is going on in the dance culture as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you have such a unique perspective as a, what would you call it? A mental health worker, social worker, mental with a focus on mental health, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, do you think that inspired you to go into um, that career? Like, think, were you thinking about, you know, all these things with Irish dance and fitness and stuff? And then did, did that kind of veer you that way or no? I think it definitely did in, you know, some way, just because I, I felt really powerless to change the sort of diet culture within my particular studio. You know, I, tr I try to say like, let's just not comment on each other's bodies or ourselves at all um, because it's not helpful and it's not something that makes people feel good about themselves. Um, that uh, did not work <laughs> for very long. Um, but um, I, I think I do really find the concept of eating disorder recovery, especially in athletes, to be really interesting and something I'm really attracted to. Um, I do have other areas of interest, but um, just the fact that 
I've been in this culture for so long and uh, it gives me a, uh, an, an inter- interesting and unique perspective um, to other athletes as well. And the sort of high level of training and dedication and the, the mental struggles, like the, the struggles that go on with that as well, the struggle to keep up and be at that high level just all the time um, is something that uh, I would, I would love to study further. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think you wrote about not exactly that, but I would, I just want to give another plug for that article that you wrote because it was really well-written and especially for any sort of athlete or dancer or just anyone who wants to learn more about it. Um, I know you're not like an expert or whatever, but it was a really great article. Um, yeah. So is there anything else you want to add or um, leave the listeners with like a last, last few words or anything? I guess I would say uh, to focus more on what your body can do rather than what it can't do. Because even, you know, the, the people that didn't, you know, were, were tearing themselves down because they didn't have these, you know, wild regimens of exercise and dieting. It was like, you have no idea how cool it is that you can do these things. Like not everybody can do this. So being able to appreciate your body for what it does rather than what it can't do, um, I think is really, really, really key into at least, you know, opening the door um, to body positivity. Absolutely. I think that's a great message to leave everyone with. Um, Okay, so before I um, leave you, we're going to do some quick questions to let the audience get to know you a bit better. So just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, Dogs or cats? Cats. Um, City or suburbs? City. Uh, Slip jig or reel? Reel. (laughs) Okay. That was an easy one. Was it? Okay. (laughs) Um, It's it's usually pretty polarized, isn't it? Um, Beer or wine? Beer. Uh, mountains or beach? I would say mountains. Okay. Uh, vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Tea or coffee? Tea. Same. Uh, are you a morning person or a night person? Um, I can be both. Right. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. That's ideal. <laughs> um, and summer or winter? Winter. Oh, I don't think, I think the first person who said winter, that's nice to hear. It's uh, yeah. Living in the the tropical climate that I do. um, It's kind of the reverse of people that are up North. It's just kind of like, no, the summer is when you don't go out. The winter is when you can actually enjoy things. So it feels (laughs) like it's completely flipped on its head. Right. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, Do you have a favorite dance move, either like a step or a trick or anything? Um, I love drums. Uh, oh, same. That would probably yeah. be my choice. Um, <laughs> I remember when you first get them, you know, you start out so slow, and then but when you're doing them so fast, you're like, feel like you're the coolest person in the world. You're like, look at me go. Um, if you could travel anywhere tomorrow, where would you go? Ooh, I think the next thing on my travel list, whenever I can travel again, uh, is definitely New Zealand. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Oh yeah. Cool. And last question, what is the best thing or your favorite thing that your body allows you to do? Um, let's see, besides Irish dance, um, I, 
Yeah, I do a lot of crafts. So I knit and I cross stitched oh. and I quilt. And so, you know, doing something with your hands, which is something I've kind of been rediscovering during quarantine, is also really neat. Um, and and an a good way to appreciate your body that's not has nothing to do with fitness or diet culture or anything. You know, I'm I can't I can't diet to be better at knitting. Like <laughs> that will have no effect. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Um, okay. Well, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Um, that medium article, I can link that or something, but is there anywhere else on social media? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would love for you to, to link that. I'm actually going to be involved with a new website that's starting up called the Irish dance club. Uh, huh. and we're just kind of trying to get our feature stories together. I'm talking to a dancer that put together the Irish dance visual glossary and I'm working on that story. Um, so if, uh, in the future, if you wanted to read more of my things, it'll be over there. Irish dance club. Okay, cool. Um, anywhere else in personal Instagram or anything you can up to you? Um, my Instagram, uh, where you can see all of my post uh, dance photos is, uh, dynamite Dan and the I in dynamite is a one. Okay, cool. I'll post those in the description. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thanks for being here, and thank you to Danielle for telling her story. Remember, new episodes are out every Friday. And we're at buymeacoffee.com slash story if you can contribute the price of a coffee to the podcast. Lastly, I want to remind you that you are amazing and worthy just as you are. And I don't care how cheesy this sounds, I'll continue saying it every week. So get used to it. All right, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next Friday.